0: The Old Testament lesson is from Jeremiah chapter 14, verses 7 through 10 and 19 through 22. Though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your name's sake. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. O you, hope of Israel, its Savior in time of trouble, why should you be like a stranger in the land, like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? Why should you be like a man confused, like a mighty warrior who cannot save? Yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. Thus says the Lord concerning this people. They have loved to wander thus. They have not restrained their feet Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. Have you utterly rejected Judah? Does your soul loathe Zion? Why have you struck us down so that there is no healing for us? We looked for peace, but no good came. For a time of healing, but behold, terror. We acknowledge our wickedness, O Lord, and the iniquity of our fathers for we have sinned against you. Do not spurn us for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember and do not break your covenant with us. Are there any among the false gods of the nations that can bring rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord, our God? We set our hope on you, for you do all these things. And the New Testament lesson is Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 and 16 through 18. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Well, for a number of weeks now, we have been working our way the Gospel of Luke. And in particular, we've been spending time with Jesus, his disciples, the crowds, the religious leaders, as Jesus sets his gaze towards Jerusalem. And if we've been listening along, we know that Jesus likes to shake things up. He likes to flip things on their heads. So those listening to Jesus, those of us reading along with Luke, we know that the parables that Jesus offers in this Gospel often come with a surprise twist. The Samaritan, the outsider, is the one who offers mercy while the temple priest, the attendant, they pass by the beaten man. The prodigal brother is received joyously by, by the father while the older brother, who had faithfully served, he cuts himself off from the celebration. Poor Lazarus is whisked away to the bosom of Abraham, but While the rich man, he suffers in torment. Over and over again, Jesus subverts our expectation and he invites scandal. If you want to be rich in this life, you you must give your life away, he says. If you want to know what it means to have faith, learn from the unclean leper from the wrong part of town. Become like him, full of gratitude and worship. Well, in our passage this morning, Luke is at it again. (laughs) He wants to wake us up. He wants to stir us out of things that we turn to to find life that don't actually give us life. (laughs) And the beautiful and the scandalous part about this is that the grace of God, it meets us as it always does. Right where we are, full of grace and mercy and wonderful, wonderful surprise. So with that in mind... Let's turn, turn with me to Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Uh, You can follow along in your order of worship where it's printed or in a Bible, uh, or just listen as I read from Luke. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector Rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Father, this word that we have just read together, we ask that you would teach us its truth, that you would meet us in the places where we are, and this word would point us to the word who bears our flesh. Change us by his grace, we pray. Amen. So right away, Luke, he tells us that Jesus told a parable. uh, That two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, when you and I hear the word tax collector, it's not a very pleasant sounding title, right? I mean, I'm sure you're feeling the warmth and the connection already with this person. Especially those of us who pay property tax in Chicago, we know how warm that is when we get that bill. However, in Jesus' day, the word tax collector was even more terrible. It was terrible because God's people were an occupied people. They were conquered by Rome. Rome took enormous taxes, but basically they were the spoils of war. And what Rome did was essentially take all of the wealth of their conquered countries and just transfer it back to Rome. And the taxes were enormous, and they were collected with, with a sword or a spear in your face. And who would have the job of getting those taxes? Well, the Romans, they hired Jewish men to be tax collectors, and they were loathed. I mean, they were hated. They were seen like the way that collaborators were with the Nazis during their European occupation. I mean, why were they so, low? well, it was, it was about money, Right? I mean, the Romans would allow, as long as they got their part, they would allow tax collectors to take as much as they wanted. And you can imagine how wealthy wealthy they would become. And you can also imagine how hated they were. They put up with the hate because they were greedy, (laughs) enormously greedy. The other man in the parable is a Pharisee. Now, when you and I hear the word Pharisee, it's often a negative one, right? But a Pharisee wasn't negative to Luke's listeners, right? Why is that? Well, the Pharisees were a reform movement. At the time, the, the Sadducees, the priests, the professional religious officials were seen as pretty corrupt. They were seen as being in it for the money, that they weren't very devout. They weren't they were mainly there for the power and the position. But people knew this, and, and no one admired them. No one looked up to them. But the Pharisees came along, and they were a reformed movement. They were devout. They studied the scriptures. They obeyed it with great precision, including their money. Verse 12, it says that the Pharisee gave a tithe of all that he gets, right? And what that means by tithe is probably what we often think and we teach about, right? It, 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 was, a, it was 10%. Right? He was faithful to the generosity. I mean, we would be, he would be seen as a pillar of the community, someone who was very, very, very pious and generous, someone who cared about people who, in every aspect of their life, was viewed with admiration and respect. So we have two people, one who's greedy, who's loathed and hated in the community, And one who is a pillar, devout and pious, who commanded respect and was seen with God's approval. But Jesus is looking at something very different. Jesus is looking underneath. He is looking at the heart. And this isn't some new idea, something new that Jesus is doing, and you know, we see it over and over again in the scriptures, you know, God is always looking at the heart. Remember that place in First Samuel 15, Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and to anoint the next king. And he doesn't know who, who the next king is, and all of the sons of, of Jesse that come tripping in, and, and one of them is very tall and very striking. And Samuel looks at him and he thinks, you know, this is the one, this is the one that God will choose. But the Lord, he said to Samuel, do not consider the appearance or the height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that other people look at. <laughs> I mean, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart and that's what Jesus is doing right here. Well, let's look a little closer at the Pharisee. Let's look at his prayer. Well, he starts off by saying, God, I thank you. Fairly normal prayer, right? Now, if you're going to thank God for something, you would think that there was a list of things that God had given him, but that's not really the case. That's not where he goes. After thanking God, he immediately starts in on all the things that he has given God and and everyone else, right? For which he thinks everyone, including God, should be eternally grateful, right? Right? He actually goes through all the reasons he's so great and all of his accomplishments. I mean, it feels comical, right? But Jesus kind of hints of how silly this is. It says the Pharisee, he stood up and he prayed about himself. He, he's basically adoring himself. He stood up to adore and praise himself. And he looks down on everyone else. As Jesus said in verse 9, he's confident in his own righteousness and looks down at everyone else. So here's what this means. Here is a person with an open purse and an abundant piety, but a closed heart. A person who's technically generous and godly, but not truly generous and holy. Person who's technically generous with his money, but actually in his heart is tight and selfish and proud and grasping. I mean, you you feel the fragility of his own praise, right? In other words, this would be a person who maybe gives quite a bit of money away and maybe even a lot of time to the church and is even sacrificial. And yet, this person needs a lot of praise and needs a lot of thanks, praise, and adoration when he walks away. And the people he gives to, he he kind of controls, right? Because he says, you know, I'm giving you all this money, and I want to tell you how you should do everything, but he actually holds grudges. He, he holds things over people. He never admits he's wrong. In other words, he's technically generous, right? But he's not truly generous. He's generous with his money and his piety, but he's not generous, generous with his heart or his character. Now let me just say one way that this may show up for you and for me. You know, sometimes we offer a lot of time. We're generous with our time, but we can, but, but, but can we see, can we acknowledge when we need to be in control in our world, right? That this is not always about efficiency, about being really tuned in with things, or even order and purpose. And sometimes, if we're honest, it is about what's underneath the control. It looks like fear, or it looks like power. Perhaps maybe we are able to admit that, but like the Pharisee, we can use all of that capacity for control and for direction to keep ourselves out of the crosshairs of the Father, and maybe even away from the pain of chaos. But here's the thing, going into fear, hanging out in places that are chaotic for us, This is the place that Jesus wants to meet you, the place of pain, a place of brokenness, the place that you're sort of managing around so well. Jesus sees it, and he wants to go there with you and to meet your eyes with kindness and grace and begin to be honest about the particular ways your control plays out in fear and power, not love and order. And when you begin that work with him, We become newer and brighter people. Well, on the other hand, you have a tax collector. And the tax collector, he he, something is going on that is very different. Notice it says the, the Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself, but the tax collector he stood at a distance because he knew that he's unworthy. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breasts, and, and it said that, that God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know what he's asking for? He's asking for, for God's generosity. And in Jesus' ministry, this tax collector will find a face. You see, eventually, Luke is going to take us to another tax collector. In Luke, in chapter 19, we meet Zacchaeus, And when Zacchaeus experiences the generosity of God, he becomes a generous person. And so what Jesus is saying is here is a person, a Pharisee, who is technically generous but is actually ungenerous. But here is a person in Zacchaeus who is technically greedy, but there are things happening in his life underneath that is making him generous so Jesus, he wants us to hear that the source of God's approval of being in relationship is not your personal piety, it is your heart. That's what God looks at. We see the outside, the superficial, but Jesus, he turns inward toward the heart. So how do our hearts change? I mean, how did this corrupt and greedy, unjust, extortionist become generous? Well, let's look. Look at verse 13 and 14. Jesus says, The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. First of all, if you want your life to change, you have to respond to God's activity on your own heart. And the text, God is already working on the tax collector's heart. He's stirring up conflict and unrest. He feels the turmoil of his character. Not just that he has done horrible things, but that he himself is horrible. Right? It's deep. It's inside of him. And, and how do we know this? Well, notice where he is. He's far off. He's not close. He's separate from God. He knows that he knows that the things that he's chased after, the love of power and wealth, and no matter who it hurts or how unjust it is, he knows that, that that has set himself at a distance from God and from others. And you know what happens when, when God stirs us up like this? We feel the force of shame. And, and how do I know this? Well, look at what Jesus says. He says the tax collector would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Friends, have you ever sat in front of someone and shame shows up? they won't look at you, they can't. Shame explodes in us how much we feel unworthy, how much I am the problem, how much I have failed, how much wrong I am, it is potent and powerful stuff. It's the kind of stuff that starts to break down our relationships. We will say things to ourselves like, you know, I, I will never do this again because it was humiliating, it was so shameful. And if we're honest, most of us spend our lives avoiding going into those places in our lives. To engage my shame is to experience the force and the weight of those strong emotions. Not just in my head, but shame, it it, it always shows up in our bodies. No matter how much we try to rationalize it or think about it. And so we avoid it. We stand far off from it so that it won't hurt us, that it won't crush us under its truth. And here's the thing, when we stand far off, away from shame, away from being honest about our lives, we may start to sound a lot like a Pharisee. Morally upstanding on the outside, but so protective of that inside place. It's a lot easier to dismiss my own failure. It's a lot easier to hide behind my own religiosity it's a lot easier to feel entitled, and it's a lot easier to use other people's problems to, to make me feel better about myself. And when we don't get close enough to the inward places of shame, when we will never be able to honestly, to honestly acknowledge our own guilt and the guilt of those around us, to acknowledge the ruptures in relationships that have taken place. And let me just say one thing about how these people the Pharisee, the tax collector, how they play out in our relationships. Well, some of us, we grew up in families where we can identify who the Pharisee is and who the tax collector is. We know the Pharisee. (laughs) They're good and responsible, high achievers, carry the pride of the family. Maybe they're even good leaders and organizers. But they also have a hard time allowing others to be, to be right, or to relax, or to even play. <laughs> is that you? Is that one of your children? And in turn, you may know the tax collector. This is the person the other family members feel needs the most help, right? They often agitate the family. They, maybe the, the way they express themselves is unacceptable, or troubling, or even downright wrong and destructive and yet the tax collector is willing to be honest about the problems in the family. They're unwilling to keep the peace just to do it. They want to live their life with integrity and so they they let it be known. But the hard place for them is that they draw out the problems in the family and no one has ears to hear it or, or to face those problems parents are too focused on what is right or avoiding keeping the peace to actually see how the tax collector could lead them towards life towards God and i wonder if this sounds familiar are there pharisees and tax collectors in your own home but maybe just maybe the tax collector the tax collectors around us in our own homes They can lead us to be honest, to bring our whole selves in confession before a merciful God and towards repair and forgiveness in our own families. So how do our hearts change? Well, the first step, we we said you have to respond to God's activity on your own heart. Not just in the back, in the far off places, but find the courage to move closer to God. And that leads to the next, right? How do our hearts change? Well, we have to be honest about who we are and about who God is. And think about it this way. Many of us are happy to fly over our sin or, 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 or even our problems. Right? We hang at about 30,000 feet above, close enough to see its shape and form, but not actually close enough to acknowledge the particulars of our sin or of our shame or of our hurt. But if we find the courage to not just fly over, but to land in that broken place, that broken area of your heart, what, what do you see? The tax collector is no longer proud or powerful. He's no longer using other people, an unjust system to fill his own pockets. It has brought him nothing, nothing but scorn and shame and loneliness and pain he sees his own heart and he's able to say it i'm a sinner (laughs) i'm a sinner and what a beautiful confession teeming with life teeming with faith because he knows he knows that god the god who is eager to hear from him who has been waiting for him to come home from that far off place he is about to get turned around given a new identity given a restored life to live with purpose to join God in mission in this world, to love and to build up and to forgive and to pursue justice. He was loathed. He, he used and abused others to advantage his own purse and power, and he came, not running or excited, but standing far off with his head down. But he came in faith, in confession and honesty, and he met the kindness and the grace of God, and it changed his life. Jesus points at this. Jesus says this man went down to his house justified. He was approved, forgiven. His sins were covered. He was righteous before God, not like the Pharisee. You want to know what justifying faith looks like? Well, it looks like the kind of prayer and confession that brings you low, that allows you to see your need to drop low in confession because you believe the mercy of God can raise you up. And friends, God raises us up because Jesus dropped deep into death. Jesus loses everything. He lost his glory. He lost his invulnerability. Jesus dropped into all the shame and the guilt. He drops into the scorn, into the loathing, into the injustice, into the religious pride and the fragile boasting. He moves into all of that death to be in our place, to raise us up and to send us home full of life. Let me pray for us. Father, we acknowledge... That like the Pharisees, we find ways to move away from you and others, to lean on ourselves. And Lord, we confess that it is a lot easier to look at you, at others with disdain, who don't live up to life like we do. And so God, we pray that you would give us faith, faith that leads us into honesty, to confession, and to your mercy. Father, it is our joy to know that we can go home justified approved, because Jesus moves into death for our sake, so that we can go home a new people. Thank you for this good news. In Jesus' name, amen.